0: Good morning. Storm is in the house. Huh? What's up? Thanks for the shirt. Um, as I said often, I'm a recovering student pastor myself, and I love it when uh, youth ministry gets to do big events like this. Uh, it's meaningful, it's life changing, and just very proud of our student ministry. Grateful to be a part of a church. That is a living, vibrant, thriving, life-giving, life-promoting group of students. So thank you for all you guys do. And uh, yeah, there's one kind of... This, <laughs> the student pastor claps for that. And, uh, but he gets paid to do that, right? No. Hey, I love, love student ministry. Uh, enjoyed my time when I got to do that too. So uh, it is a sign of a healthy church. That's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, you just saw the video from Drew Caperton, Pastor South Burleson, so that's our big reveal, right? So if we did a balloon or something, it would be blue, because Drew is a boy. You guys know the big reveal thing now for babies. Since people find out early what the sex of the child is going to be, now we had to do something different to make that exciting, so that's cool, the big reveal. So we've been talking about a church that we're going to foster. We've been talking about that for months, and now we have had the big reveal. We should have had him blow something up. That would have been really cool. But um, South Burleson actually is a mission of our church, but started back in the 70s. They are over by Chisholm Hall, the ball fields. You guys know where those ball fields are? They're off a of Hidden Creek. I forget the little side road there. But it's a very strategic location. Because if you know that area, there are apartments all around that church, mainly single parents living in those apartments. A lot of young families in those houses. Of course, every Saturday, they're just bombarded with students and kids and families at the ball fields. So it's in a very great location to reach young families. Uh, But one of the issues is they don't have any young families in their church. So we've come alongside Drew uh, Caperton and the leadership at South Burleson, and we've actually sent some folks over there to lead worship for them. They're, they're kind of looking for that position. We've had some folks preach over there for Drew. From time to time, we've trained some of their people in different areas. Uh, and so part of this fostering is we're going to help them reach young families. So here's what I want to ask you to consider if you are a young family, however you consider yourself to be a young family, that you have children in the home. Okay, So With that concept, uh, elementary school, students, whatever and below, we're going to ask for 10 families who feel led to do this to go and be a part of South Burleson for 12 months. Because you can imagine, if if you're a young family, right, and you walk into a church and you don't see anybody that looks like you, (laughs) you don't see any other children, that's probably going to be a hindrance. Most likely, you will not come back. So one of the things we want to do is we, we are seeking 10 mission-minded families to for a year to commit to a, attending South Burleson and being a part of their church and part of life at their church to help reach those young families. Now you'll, you'll be on loan, okay, get that, you'll be on loan for 12 months, you'll still a, part of, still a part of First Burleson, you don't have to join that church, but we want you over there serving, okay? So... I, and you're probably thinking, well, there's no way. I've never thought about that, never considered that. I've never heard of a church doing this. Now, I've heard it for their own church plant or something, but never for another sister church. So I think that's cool. But I, I, if you fit that category, if you're qualified, I, I don't know how we define that, but if you feel like God is calling you to do that, or even... Twinkling in your mind, just begin to pray. Just ask God. God, would you want our family to go and do that to help South Burleson reach people for the Kingdom of Christ? Okay, I'm I'm just asking. He may say no to you. He may say yes to you. Please be obedient. But seriously, just ask him. Even if that's not even on your radar, again, it doesn't mean you're breaking away from First Burleson. You're you're part of our mission team. I, I consider it. We're doing a year-long mission trip here in our own backyard to help a church in our area. So I think that's something that's pretty cool that God's doing. Have you guys ever read this book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey? No? Okay. All right. Well, that explains a lot. Um, no. <laughs> just teasing. Just teasing. It's a great book. It's, it's a good read. He's not a Christian. This is not a Christian book. It's a secular book. But he talks about the seven habits. Now, there's, since he wrote this book, there are seven habits for just about everything. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote a book, Seven Habits of a Highly Effective Church. We call it Romans 15, but you could interchange the titles, right? Because in the chapter we're going to see today, Paul gives us seven habits of a highly effective church. They're found in Romans chapter 15. If you have your Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn there. And if you would want to put a tagline or a theme to this section of the letter, it's really about radical hospitality. You can imagine the church in Rome, small church, new believers, Jews and Gentiles trying to learn to get along, yet established in Rome, major city, major culture to influence that culture for Jesus. You talk about an overwhelming task. Like reaching the ends of the earth with the gospel, it's kind of that big. And so Paul is encouraging giving them instruction, talking about the importance that they are unified. You can imagine all the things that try to divide them, try to squelch them, and even difficulty within the body of believers. It's interesting, if you read Stephen Covey's book, one of the things he talks about the importance of being an effective person is to be a part of a loving community that gives us motivation, because being an influencer can be difficult at times, but if you have a loving community that's got your back, you're able to to advance this idea. And Paul basically kind of says the same thing. You are a church. You are to be a loving community because you are called to be influencers. Every one of you follow Jesus, you're called to be an influencer. Now, you may influence one, or you may influence a million, but we're called to be influencers. And so he talks about the habits That really relate to the idea of hospitality. Look at Romans chapter 15. Look at the first four verses. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insult of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. So the first habit of a highly effective church, a highly healthy church, an influencing church, is first of all the consideration of others. He goes back to Romans chapter 14 where he talked about the weak and the strong believers, right? We went through that over the last couple of weeks. And weak and strong is defined by those who understand Christian freedom. We had Jews who were converted from Judaism to Christianity, and they were really having a hard time breaking free from this idea of of Christianity being a bunch of rules and regulations. They were oppressed by the Pharisees and Sadducees, saying, if you want to please God, here's the list of do's and here's the list of don'ts. As long as you can do these, you're fine. And of course, realize we can't do all that. To the Gentiles who were coming out of no religious background and it's like, man, this Christian freedom is great. What am I allowed to do in my faith? What does that mean? How can I live? What can I be involved in? And so there's that tension going on in the church that Paul addresses. And so he kind of re- reverts back to that in the first 15, first verse of chapter 15. We are strong, how to bear with the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves. So this whole idea of I'm here for you. If you're considered strong, you're here to help the weak. The weak are here to learn from the strong. And by that, we all grow together. This is the idea, consideration of others. And then in verse 3, he really kind of ramps it up. So if you want to know what this looks like, here's your model. It's Jesus. (laughs) Okay, all right, come on. Jesus? Yeah. Consider what happened. Jesus left heaven to come to earth. He left all that was there, all that was there with the Father. He left all of that to come and endure life as we do, to be tempted in every way but without sin, to understand what it means to be rejected, to understand what it has people to turn their back on you, to mock you, to call you names, to abuse you, torture you, and ultimately kill you. Jesus came voluntarily to do all that because of his great love for us. So let that be our model. We consider Christ who died and faced all the injustice, totally innocent, definitely not deserving to die because of sin. He endured all the injustice of the cross for people who would not even listen to his message. He died even for people who would turn their backs on him, reject him. For those who nailed him to the cross, he died for them. He did not come to please himself, but he came for the benefit of us. Paul says, let that be our standard. If Jesus was willing to do that, how can we not do the same for one another? Let's reflect Jesus in each other's lives and consider the needs of others. The second habit is to study Scripture. Verse 4 talks about reading, reading the Bible sustains our spiritual life. It causes spiritual growth. This is the word of God. It is living. It is active. It is life-giving. It's vital that we study the word of God. We're not talking about just reading a bunch of scriptures to say that we did it. We need to take time and meditate. Let the word of God sink in. Hide it in my heart that I might not sin against God. This is where I understand my God and how to have a relationship. This is a vital book. (laughs) This is a life-giving book. It is important. So we read and we study the Scriptures. As we do that, if we are weak in the faith, we become stronger. If we are strong in the faith, we get stronger, but we also help understand how to help those who might be weaker. The Word of God allows us, empowers us to be influencers in the world. So if I were to ask you how you doing with your Bible reading, how would you respond? Are you reading your Bible? Are you spending time in the Word? Are you memorizing Scripture? Are you meditating on the Word of God? Are you taking notes of what God says to you as you read the Word of God? This is all vital to our spiritual growth and spiritual maturity. One of the arguments I hear against the church, and usually these are arguments from church people, is that Christians today, for the most part, are biblically illiterate. In other words, they don't know the Word of God. They don't study the Word of God. They don't understand how it all fits together. They don't understand the 66 books and the thread that weaves from Genesis to Revelation. They don't understand what the book is all about. Now, that's probably true for some and, and not true for others, but that is something we need to enhance, so we're going to address that as a church. Starting tomorrow, we're going to read the Bible through together as a church. I invite you to join us. We've got a program. It's on our app. If you go to our church app, which I hope you've downloaded already, it's on the homepage right there. Read the Bible through in a year. You can go on our website under menu, under resources. You can find the one you're reading plan. It's connected to Version app. We also... If you're here on campus, we have these handouts you can pick up at the Welcome Centers. It has the whole month in in review here for us to read. But I think it's going to be really cool as we read the same verses together every day. I'm excited to see what God's going to do with that as we grow in our understanding of the Word of God, as we begin to see how it fits together. But I, I truly expect God to speak to all of us as a church to His vision for us through His Word. And if you will commit to this, again, it's not legalism, right? It's not if if you do this, you're a good Christian. If you don't, you're not. But it's really out of this that we love God so much, we want to know what he says to us. We want to understand how we are to live in relationship to him and to one another. And by this, by this discipline, this spiritual discipline, we will grow. And we will be challenged by the word of God. So I'm excited to do that together. So the third habit is endurance, holding fast, persevering, carrying through to the end. Now, don't be confused. Paul is not saying that if you endure to the end, then you'll be saved. What he's saying is because you are saved, because you have been rescued from sin, that allows you to endure. Endurance has become a very big word over the last year with COVID-19. Some of us feel like we're just trying to endure this pandemic. And the good news of what Paul is saying to us is you can endure. You can endure life. You can endure worldwide pandemics. You can endure cancer. You can endure death because of the Holy Spirit that lives within you, that there is nothing greater than our God. There is nothing that can snatch us away from him. So if I know what awaits for me, if I know the prize at the end, if I know I will be rewarded for my endurance, then it gives me motivation to endure. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God, from his presence. So we endure. You guys remember Gatorade? Still around, isn't it? They came out of that G2. That's nasty. (laughs) Yeah. Was that sugar-free or something? But the, the Gatorade, you may remember... Several years ago, there was a campaign. They would ask the question, Gatorade, is it in you? Remember that? Well, if you didn't, here's a commercial.
1: There are times when it becomes a battle of will. When gaining ground means losing blood. When exhilaration means exhaustion. When the vision of your goal is blurred only by the tears in your eyes. And either you have it in you. Gatorade. Is it in you?
0: <clears throat> that'd be cool if we could sweat Gatorade. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be awesome. But that's, that's the idea, right? Is it in you? Because if it's in you, it's going to come out. Paul's saying the same thing. The Holy Spirit is in you, therefore you will endure. If, if the Holy Spirit really is in you, that's what's going to come out in, in times of pressure. Paul writes in Philippians 3, 14, this is what I do. I forget what lies behind, but I press on to what is ahead for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. But I can press forward, I can press into life, I can press into the future because I know that there is something waiting for me, that God is aware of what's going on. I can live this life, I can face death, I can face disease because I know that this is not all there is. There is something else. There's a beautiful place called heaven awaiting for those who have committed their life to Jesus as the leader and forgiver of their lives. Now, you may not be ready to get there right now, but that's what awaits us who believe. So because of that, then I can endure this life, right? I can endure the pain and the suffering and the sorrow because I know there will be one day, there will be a place that I will arrive where there's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, no more needles, no more injections, no more hospitals. <laughs> oh, baby. Right? So bring it on, Right? Whatever I have to do, whatever God calls me to do, I'm willing to do that because I know this is not all there is. Even though I may tragically die from serving God, I know that there is so much more that awaits me. To live is Christ, Paul said, but to die is gain. So much better, so much more. You have no idea what waits for us. So endure. Endure which leads to hope and it's the hope that motivates us to carry on. Living according to God's principles produces hope in our life. You guys ever watch dog races, greyhound races? Have you ever wondered why dogs run around the track? There's no jockeys, right? They'd have to be really, really small (laughs) jockeys to ride a dog not like a horse. These dogs are trained to chase a rabbit. And on the track, there's a mechanical rabbit that runs around the inside railing. So when the doors open and those dogs run out, they see that rabbit and that's what they're chasing until they get to the finish line. They have this hope that I'm going to reach that rabbit. I'm going to be rewarded. I'm going to get to that rabbit. Right? But they never do. I read a story one dog race in Florida. The rabbit exploded on the track and the dogs just ran around in circles. They didn't know what to do. They lost their hope. They lost their motivation. So Paul's not saying that our hope is a wish. Our hope is secure in Christ. We know where we're going to go when we die. We know that God is with us, that he is present. We know that he is watching. We know that he is calling we know that he is all-knowing, all-powerful, that he is God, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, creator of all things. We know that, and our hope is in that truth of God. So because of that we have nothing to fear. We can endure the worst of circumstances because we have this hope that is in God. Look at verse 5. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. So this is the idea of harmony, okay? So I've asked the, the lovely Michael Glenn to come and sing the doxology for us,
1: Thanks, man. Beautiful, huh? Great voice,
0: great job, great man. Sounds good, no doubt. This is grace. Now listen what happens when they do this together.
1: Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here me. Son and Holy Ghost.
0: You notice the difference? You hear the harmony in that? I mean, it adds richness. It adds fullness, right? It's impactful, right? So imagine what happens when the church sings together. So stand up with us. Let's sing the doxology together. And just listen as
1: we sing. Praise God from whom blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures.
0: a seat. This is the idea that Paul is projecting here. When the church is the church, it's a beautiful sound to the world. When there is harmony, when there is giving of one another so that all needs are met, there is harmony. We're very different people. We have different ideas, different experiences, different walks of life. We come from different backgrounds, but yet We are one. We can be of one mind, headed in one direction, one purpose, because there is one Father. There is one faith. There is one Lord, and He unites us together. It's a beautiful thing when the church comes together to be the church, although we are different and we are unique. But that's the beauty, isn't it? I mean, let's face it some of us are not good singers. Some of us are. But when we join together, everybody sounds good. Everybody sounds beautiful. Except for those of you who didn't sing, just a bunch of knuckleheads. But, I mean, there's beauty when we come together because we can endure what's going on. Imagine the Roman church, what they were having to endure. But Paul says, even in this endurance, there is hope because you are one. Yes, our hope is in God, but the way that he connects that to us, that we understand is through each other, that there is unity, that there is oneness. When people come onto our campus, whether they're members or guests, I think they're considering five questions. First of all, who is happy to see me here? Is anyone here happy that I'm here? Does anyone care that I'm here? We have a great guest services team that greets people as soon as they come onto our campus. We, we try to catch them in the parking lot, or definitely when they, once they get in the building. And they do a great job at that. Because we want that idea that, yes, people are glad that you're here. And it's not just, oh, hey, how you doing? Come on in. So so glad you're here. Science tells us that when you encounter someone and their face lights up, and, and, man, it is so good to see you and their sincerity in their voice and sincerity in their expression, then it just does something within us. It does something to our physical bodies. We feel really good. That's what we want to have here, regardless of who comes. The minute you see a brother or sister in Christ, your face lights up. Now, COVID-19 has really messed with this whole thing. I'm grateful we have people joining us online But I I long for the day when we can all be back together. Because online is great, but it's it's just not enough. Because we need to feel that we belong. And we need to be able to walk into a church, a community of faith, a family of believers, and feel like somebody cares that I'm there. Someone is excited to see me. The second question is, what do I feel right now (laughs) based on that experience? And let's face it, we've all been to churches that are very cold. Which I think speaks to the heart. It speaks to so much more. We don't want to be that way. Is there anyone here who understands me? And listen, can we just be honest? We're all jacked up it's to some degree. We're all struggle, we're all dealing with issues, we all have things, right, that, that make us wonder, does anybody really understand me? Does anybody Can anybody relate to what I'm going through? And honestly, sometimes we can't. But we do have the ministry of presence. Sometimes it's helpful just to have someone present, even if they're silent, just to know that they're there and they care. The fourth question is, how do I act like myself right now? Is it okay to act like myself? I'm coming to church. Is it okay to be me? Can I just be Ronnie around you guys? Or do I have to dress a certain way and speak in the King James and say God a lot. I mean, is that, is that the expectation? Or can I tell you how I messed up last week? Can I tell you how my heart hurts over something going on in my life? Can I tell you that I sinned yesterday and still be loved and accepted? This is the idea that Paul is creating here. This is what we are supposed to be. Because a holy church is an expression of a group of individuals in Christ willing to set aside personal preferences for the good of the whole, to make sure that everyone feels important to build up the body of Christ. We're called to build up the body of Christ, not tear it down. Can I get us say that? There are too many outside forces trying to tear it down. We don't need to join them. I pastored a church, my first church in Dripping Springs, Sunset Canyon Baptist in Dripping Springs. And we were growing and we needed to, we actually bought an old real estate building. And so we'd outgrown that. We needed to enlarge our worship space, which meant we were going to have to cut down three giant oak trees right next to our current facility. And Hill Country, love the Hill Country, beautiful oak trees. These trees were probably 150, 200 years old. I mean, they were massive. But they were in the way. <laughs> and so we, it was a church discussion. I mean, we got into this discussion and brought it to the church. And, hey, we need to vote to raise money to build onto this. But part of that deal is going to to cut out some oak trees. And that caused some issues, right? You're in the Hill Country, and people love the oak trees. And there was one man that was just very adamant against it. And he was very vocal, not mean, just... He just expressed his opposition to it. But the church voted to cut down those oak trees. And so we got a group of folks together with chainsaws, and they were going to cut down that oak tree. And that man showed up with his chainsaw, which I thought was going to be like a massacre. <laughs> you know, yeah, I'll show you. Cut down my oak tree. But he, I said, man, what are you, what are you doing? You, you were so against cutting down these oak trees. He said, I was. But the church decided to do it. I'm a part of the church, so I'm here to help. Amen. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> We're not always going to agree, are we? We're not always going to like each other, are we? <laughs> but we are committed to support one another and to love each other, regardless. That's the church, that's his definition. So, endurance and hope that leads to praise, this is the ultimate goal. We are created for God. Do you know that? We were created for him. He gave us lives that we might please him in all that we do. And so when we're functioning according to these healthy habits, it brings glory and honor to God. Paul's prayer is that these habits of faithfulness bring praise and glory to God. That's, that's where we head. When we come together and we, we bring all of our stuff and all of our junk and all of our luggage Yet we love each other and our faces light up when we see each other. All that brings glory to God. You think the Father's happy about Sunday morning? You think he loves it when his church harmonizes together? Yes. Man, don't you know it? He, I think he looks forward to Sunday morning. This is Paul's point. We come to worship. Some of us come here today because we've had an incredible week with the Lord. And we just want to express it. God has been so good to us, and we've seen him move. We saw him move at Storm. We've had teenagers saved, and so we just want to express that. I just got to shout. I got to (laughs) sing. I got to let God know that I am grateful for him. Some of us are coming here today, and our buckets are empty. (laughs) Last week was draining. It was a challenge to get here today, or a challenge to join us online, even in your pajamas. And we need our buckets filled. And the cool thing is all that happens in church. All that happens as we worship. All that happens as we focus on God. And our needs are met in him. And many times through each other. <laughs> worship and praise is contagious. You know that? And then the last habit is to follow the example of Jesus. Jesus who emptied himself himself and became a servant, a servant leader, a servant, a servant leader, which is, Paul says, you all need to be servant leaders. Your leaders' influences, but you do that by serving one another as you serve the Lord. That's what Jesus did. It goes back to Romans 14.1. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago, where he writes, Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Accept one another. Accept one another. Accept one another. We're not perfect. We tick each other off. We say stupid things. We do the wrong thing. We disappoint. We let down. But we're to accept one another. Don't you want to be in a church and when people see you, their face lights up? because they're truly glad to see you. In fact, they need to see you. I need to be reminded that I'm not on this journey by myself. I need to be reminded there are people who know my wounds and my scars and my tendencies, but yet they still are happy to see me. I can endure what's headed for me this week because I know I can call somebody when it gets too hard. I can run to someone who will just listen, even if they don't have an answer. I can text someone, and I know they will respond back. (laughs) I can post something, and they'll encourage me. I can endure whatever life throws at me. Because I know that the God of the universe is with me, and He's provided people into my life that remind me of His love. We call that church, huh? We do that when we follow the example of Jesus. Today, as we gather, there are people who give of their finances, which may mean they don't get the new car. They don't get the bigger house. They don't have all the luxuries that maybe they desire because they're committed to giving to support the kingdom. There are people who give their time and their efforts to to teach a life group and to greet and to help and to serve on Sunday morning because we need it. We need volunteers. People now are considering, do I need to serve the kingdom by going and helping South Burleson accomplish the vision God has given them? It's not easy. It takes effort. Sometimes it's a struggle, but it is always worth it. So here's the challenge that you and I will learn to practice holy hospitality. (laughs) Again, that's kind of the theme that runs through this these seven habits hospitality. That I will give of what I have to meet whatever is missing in your life. Because I really love you. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for First Baptist Burleson and what you have done in our midst these 136 years. The legacy that we have, the impact, the influence on this community. And Father, our expectation is that we'll continue. But God, honestly, sometimes it's easier to focus on doing things outside the church than taking care of each other in the church. It's easier to go on a mission trip than to weep with my brother or sister here. It's easy to address all the needs that are in the community around us and neglect the one who sits beside me in worship. Father truly make us one we understand that there is power in unity we're not asking to think alike we're not asking to act alike or look alike it's not about uniformity it's about unity that we are so close together that the only explanation is that we belong to you. And Jesus, thank you for giving us the example of what it means to serve the Father and to serve each other. May this place be known as a family who cares for those inside as well as those outside.
1: In Jesus' name, amen.